You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Uh, we uh, completed week seven. We had five games. Uh, MWR.com is our website where um, we talk about the football, Matt. And as we just discussed before, I may make some jokes to cope with how the weekend went. Maybe channel inner teams about just off-putting, not off-putting comments, but kind of like a backhanded compliment or eh, we're really good maybe because this week uh, we'll talk about the end, like where people stay nationally. But where's the shrug emoji when you need it more than ever this week, right? That is an excellent question, especially since like you know we're we're officially at the halfway point of the season because everybody has played at least six games at this point, and you know we'll talk about it I think more at length at the end of of this particular podcast recapping week seven. But who who's good in the Mountain West? Like we have some ideas, but it seems like that that changes somewhat from week to week. It does because there's people. If we, I haven't put out my part, personal power rankings. We have a handful of guys like Thomas and other people on our site doing stuff. They put some out there. I've been probably a few handful of others I haven't checked Twitter a ton today. But Boise fans are like, well, we're number one. I'm like, well, you didn't play, you didn't lose, you've been playing well the past two weeks. But then it's like, we thought, oh, San Jose State, yeah, Fresno, one Air Force, we'll see, but we'll get to it all. I will kind of sparse through it all. And I think this week, now I'm officially going to start doing the, uh, drive to six, whatever it may be at FPI and stuff like that. So I may kind of put those, put those projections out early in the week, kind of see where teams are standing because mm-hmm. that's something we could talk about at the end about who's kind of projected to win the division and those type of numbers, because without looking, it's going to be i I'm betting numbers are pretty, a handful of teams have a shot record wise. It's difficult to say at the moment because two lost teams like air force within the conference compared to Boise who they play next week. I'm assuming Boise has an edge, but 
when you have no conference losses, that's a big deal. So let's get to it. Mm-hmm. Utah State, Colorado State. Um, that final score, 17 to 13. Utah State did win. We expected to, expected them to win, but not this way where wasn't it 23 to 13? ESPN.com says 17 13. Are they incorrect? <laughs> I was gonna say, because I'm looking at the game notes from from the thing. Well, why does it say why does it okay? Well, I'm looking okay, so I'm I'm at collegepressbox.com. It says 23 to 13. Let's get another source. Yeah. I'm gonna see. Yes, hold on. On the fly research here, I'm like, I wonder, you know what? I wonder, I think, you know what I think the problem is? What I think the problem is, according to the game book, it counted Gervin Hall's should have been a pick six in the fourth quarter as being an actual touchdown, which wasn't. I think it was actually called back. So I think that's the discrepancy. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I way, are they way off? I know sometimes ESPN screws up the drive chart occasionally and it fumbles me when I'm trying to make a point on kind of like not a handwritten note I have typed down, but something. Oh, remember this no, guy here? Should, like, should have been a touchdown, though. Wasn't actually a touchdown. Correct. And we almost had the Quinter back, which mm-hmm. I, I always have to tweet out the t shirt. We used to sell Quinter back. I used to have the winter quarterback t-shirt, the ugly sweater quarterback shirt, but I can't find any more. And I just desperately wish we had that back still because that's awesome. But hmm. it was injuries. So the way the game played out, it was Cooper Lagarde got hurt. Um, and then you had Levi Williams come in who had like, it's interesting listening to the broadcast because they're like, he's, well, he's the backup, but he's won. I thought he won one bowl game. Apparently he won two bowl games for Wyoming. When he took over for Sean, Sean Chambers, and then last year as well in the uh, Potato Bowl, and yeah, he played in the uh, the Arizona Bowl a couple years ago too, right? Yeah, yeah, in the Potato Bowl last year, he comes in, gets his ankle sat on or something like on a, on a run. I don't know yeah. how he played a handful of plays. Like he clearly shotgun. I'm not moving, throwing the ball. Shotgun, not He's moving. Cl- clearly tougher than you and me. <laughs> Very tough. And then he finally got. He had to. I think what did he had to run or do something where he finally had to hobble out of bounds and go and like and even Aaron Taylor was like how is this guy doing this you he luckily saw his back foot so he could put a little pressure but his short passes he had that one kind of longer throw that clearly wasn't there but he leaves the game they bring in a uh, Bishop Davenport's like all right boys what do we got here and he had a little spark a little he didn't throw very well but he had a couple of good runs like the 19 yarder and he had a t- mm-hmm. touchdown run as well he ran 11 times. Like, think of this, think of this, dude. Like, he is, I guess, technically, he was the backup for this. No, he was the third string quarterback. It's, I imagine, have you seen the movie Any Given Sunday with Jamie Foxx? Oh, yeah. So he's sitting on the sideline eating Cheetos as because he's the third string yeah. quarterback. He's like, I'm never getting in. Not comparing him, but it's just, uh, you're the th- third string quarterback. Your responsibilities are typically in game day. Not a lot. And odds of him getting five reps all week in practice. I'd put that like at 1%. He probably had two reps, like hardly any reps in practice all week, which is why he ran a lot. Didn't throw mm-hmm. very well. But this game, it's, it wasn't the offense, but it total defensive effort for how they were able to get the win. When you have when you have guys like MJ Tafisi do what he did tackling, you had obviously Daniel Greziak, sorry, all the, all the sacks, all the TFLs, QB hurries. This was a defensive effort, and I'll let you get in here. But Aggies did their job, and also Utah or CSU had to put in had their third string quarterback as well, and got Giles Puller there. Giles Puller. Yeah, I mean, if you if you're just looking at it in terms of the numbers, it wasn't necessarily very no. pretty on either side. You know, it, it, and, and even Utah State, for as sharp as they looked early, 
which I think is important to keep in mind because, you know, Lega before he got hurt was off to a pretty good start. Like he did have the interception, but he was also nine of 12, you know, had a couple of nice throws, 85 yards altogether and and the one touchdown. And then, you know, once he, once he left the game and then especially once Williams got hurt, you know, it would have been very easy for this to have been, you know, to sort of devolve into a sort of a back and forth punt fest, I guess. And it's to the Aggies' credit that they found another way to win. And so while Davenport definitely brought it with sort of the, I guess what you might call moxie, sort of getting it done off the bench, it also helps that he got a lot of help from the round game as well. Calvin Tyler. You know, Calvin Tyler Jr., 129 yards on 24 carries. Robert Briggs chipped in with 38 yards on six carries as well. And as you mentioned, Davenport himself made a little bit of, you know, uh, breathing room for himself here and there with his legs. So, you know, but, but I think the the contributions that Tyler and Briggs, and, and I would say, especially Tyler, you know, given that he had sort of the, the heavy lifting in this game went a long way, you know, so while the, the final result was definitely closer than they expected, you know, the fact that they were able to put themselves in opportunities to at least try and score even if it didn't always work out, you know, Connor Coles, you know, had two misses, but those misses were from 45 and 52 yards in the first half. 52 you know, yards almost made it in there too. Yeah. But you know, those situations weren't gimmies and and that was, you know, tougher situations than his counterpart, Michael Boyle ended up having, you know, Boyle missed from 39 yards. He had a couple of makes from 23 and 35. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was definitely a game where both teams found ways to succeed in, in a lot of the same manner, you know, where, where it was Tyler really getting it done for the Aggies. Avery Morrow also had a very good game oh, again yeah. for, for the Rams, 116 yards, 27 carries and the one touchdown where it really looked like they had him at the line of scrimmage, maybe a, a yard or two gain. And then all of a sudden he's out there into the open field, yeah. like a second or two later. I'm like, well, I saw, I watched it play three times. Like, wait, what happened there? He like snuck through the guy pulling on his t-shirt under the Jersey and just, Snapped out of it, it was boom gone. But you know they they just did not have as much to offer with their passing game with Pooler under center. You know only eleven of thirty two with the interception, one hundred forty four yards. But as you said, it was really just you know the Utah State defense was able to generate more havoc altogether. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned it. You know Grzeziak with the three sacks, three and a half tackles for loss really leading the way in that regard. And they had to do it despite also losing Byron Vaughn's in that game to, right, I yeah. believe, a head injury. So it's it's really just a, you know, Utah State finding a different way to win than they had been able to in the in the last couple of weeks, you know, and as, especially a, an entire defensive effort. It's just, you know, it's this is how good teams play like good teams find different ways to win when one thing isn't working they turn to something else and i'm glad you mentioned to pc because i feel like when you look at what he's accomplished to this point in the year we probably aren't talking enough about him and what regards like all conference for, or what type of what are you what are you referring to and what's your possibly idea? yeah because you know you you look at it and all of you know they played seven games he's you know tied for second in the conference with t- tfl's eight altogether to this point in the season. I believe he's second or third in tackles per game as well. He's been one of those guys, you know, sort of in the middle of the defense that's been able to to step up and get it done. And even with, you know, the the handful of really nice runs that Mauro had, 
you know, even that was relatively boom or bust. Like his long was 26 yards, take that away. And, you know, he averaged 4.3 yards per carry. Without doing that math, I would wager that puts him under four yards of carry for the rest of the game. Yeah, he was mostly like five yards here, six, a couple yards here or there. He wasn't getting, you're right, outside that one run we talked earlier, he was kind of, he gets stuffed here, get like seven yards, two yards. He was uh, nothing big outside the big one. So he was Yeah, let's put it this way. You remove the the one long run, he averaged about 3.5 yards per carry the rest of the way. Yeah, not great. And, and, And that, you know, given what we talked about in the preview podcast, as far as, you know, Utah State's tendency to create havoc and, and enable big run plays in equal shares, you know, the fact that they were able to hold on to the, to the former while sort of improving the latter is a very big deal for their chances going forward, just to keep sort of climbing their way back into the, into the title chase. One thing too, I want to mention before we move on real quick. So Hunter Randall, did you, there's a play that could have made the difference in this game where, did you watch the game live and listen to commentary? commentary I didn't get a chance to, know. Okay, so there was a play where he was – it could have been bad quarterback play, which probably was because Pooler was 11-32, and Aggies had seven pass breakups. So there's a play, mm-hmm. and Hunter's out there making plays. He's guarding the guy, and part of it, it wasn't – it seemed – okay, I'm not going to downplay it or anything or oversell it, try not to. There's two CSU receivers and his own teammate. Their guys were kind of – going down the field, the middle, going vertical toward the end zone. Mm-hmm. And his guy is guarding his covered. The other guy was a little more open. He slides over, jumps up, and knocks the ball down. Couldn't Because he has a mm-hmm. bunch of pass breakups this year. Makes a big play, and Aaron Taylor's all gushing over. Like, oh, look at that great play. He's guarding one guy, gets over, which it was a pretty heads-up play because he just he had to make a handful of steps to get over there. But he just saw that, went over and tried to get it, knocked it down, broke it up. But then also <laughs> – so did you see the maybe fake injury, not injury on Utah State defensive line? The guy basically fell over. Uh, no, I did not see that. Oh, I wish you saw it because there was a one for because CSU. It's just kind of some anecdotes I saw. So CSU was just two of fifteen on third down. They had that yeah. one fourth down conversion they had, and then they just went up to a quick snap and boom, got it. They tried to do mm-hmm. it again, and like, oh, the guy goes down, looks like a cramp, and it's. And Aaron Taylor, because he played with uh, was Notre Dame, I think, in NFL for a bit. Like, oh, you've, we've had leg cramps before. There's kind of awkward and weird, and sometimes come out of nowhere in your calf. Mm-hmm. That's what it seemed like. And he walked. Unless he's a good actor, like he fumbled off the field or kind of walked, like he kind of gingerly left. But then they watch replay again. You see his guy next to him give like a little elbow or something. He just falls over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I don't know if he really was hurt or if it's because the rest had to call a timeout. Hey, injury timeout. Blah blah blah. I just didn't know if you saw it and wondered if thought that looked like his teammate gave him a little nudge. He just fell over and like, oh, my calf is cramped up. So I don't know. I was just wondering. Because those are like huh. impossible to monitor really if they're real or not. Because the way he's yeah. walking off, you kind of you can tell. And then as you walk and go more, it stretches out and you're usually kind of fine after a, sh- a reasonably short period of time. But overall, Aggie's win is what we thought. Has there Have you seen the update in Cooper Legoff how severe he might be at? Severe, severity of the injury? Or, uh, uh, I was reading an article from uh, from Jason Wood over at the Deseret News earlier today. I don't remember exactly what it said, though. I know Levi's that he had a concussion, so yeah. I would imagine that that's going to be something that they will monitor very closely uh, in the week to come. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, he had a concussion, got the hit, and then and, – and Blake Anderson also kind of mad about the slide play, too, like at the next play after. Mm-hmm. So there's that. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, Levi's leg gets looked 
I don't know, man. That looks pretty gnarly as well. So Did we'll you see say Jason Wood. I meant to say Trent Wood. I want to. That, oh yeah, Trent. Okay, Trent Wood. <laughs> you got Jason. Jason's the other guy. That. Yeah, that's why I thought. I'm like, wait, is it Trent Wood? And then you got Jason. Oh, what's his name? He does the Herald HJNews.com. Jason Turner. Yes, that's the other yeah. Nike guy. You probably got the my apologies. All good. I'll let Trent know. He's in my building sometimes. Maybe if I see him, I'll say, "Hey, we got your name right in our show." Just so you know, we didn't mess up. <laughs> Kidding. I never see him, but he probably is there somewhere. All right, next game. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so this game, uh, what is this maybe the shocking, most shocking performance of the week with the Mexico State winning 21 to 9 over the Mexico Lobos? How would you characterize the uh, level of uh, shockness, I guess, of this game? Well, um, <laughs> I, I guess it depends because you know, we, we talked coming into the game like New Mexico State was not a very good team, and I'm still not convinced that they are a very good team. Um, Oh, they're not. But at the same time, you know, it did not seem to to matter. You know, that the the change that the Lobos made on offense. You know, their offensive coordinator, you know, firing Derek Wareheim. You know, elevating Heath Ridenour. It was almost exactly the same script that we've seen from this team on that side of the ball for the last month or so. Yeah. Because you know they they got off to a relatively decent start in the first quarter, 100 total yards. You know, basically neck and neck with the Aggies through the first 15 minutes. Um, you know, had the time of possession advantage of nearly two to one, averaged 5.6 yards per play. And then, you know, whatever momentum they had after the first quarter, they just, they had nothing else to offer for the last 45 minutes. You know, they had a couple of field goals in the first, you know, field goals in the first half. You know, yeah. they crossed midfield exactly four times in 11 drives. Not good. Last 45 minutes of the game, they averaged basically three yards of play. 3.1 if you want to be exact. No explosiveness. Exactly four chunk plays totaling 77 yards. They just, it's its the same old story with that Lobo's offense. And, and you know, I, I, I don't even know if I can say, I mean, you could say they wasted another really good defensive effort too, because you know, they held the Lobos defense did they held the Aggies to 225 yards of total offense actually, you know, held them to 4.7 yards per play. So it's, it wasn't like, you know, the, the, the Aggies ran away with it in the same way that we did that they did a couple of weeks ago against Hawaii, let's say, but it wasn't a clean game on either side. You know, New Mexico had 11 penalties too. New Mexico state had nine. And so many, like, three and four outs. Yeah. Difference in the game, though, was red zone trips. 
you know, New Mexico had one trip into the red zone and he got a field goal out of it. New Mexico field State goal. had two <laughs> trips and got two touchdowns out of it. And that was the game. Also, it's humorous. You mentioned the yards per play. Their field goal in the fourth quarter. Excuse me. It went over the third and fourth quarter. Matt. Is this correct? Was this an 11-minute drive? 20 plays, yeah. 74 yards. They settled for a field goal. Yes, it was. Oh my! It's like that's a that's a weird. And they converted a fourth down, a third down. Oh my god! That, I just saw that. It's good. I'm like, what is going on here? They, they, it's good they go down, but you're down 21 to six. I guess at that point you take the points because there is a good amount of time in the third quarter. Four and a half minutes left, five, almost five minutes. They they made the field goal with eight fifty three left in the game. Yeah, I mean so, it wasn't like it wasn't like the Aggies were moving the ball at will in this game. Like their their, their no. longest drive was only sixty one yards. That was their first touchdown drive. You know, other than that, you know, the big difference in this game was that they had a huge field position advantage. Yeah, you know, both teams had eleven drives. New Mexico, on average, started at their own twenty one yard line. By contrast. And, and some of this has to do with, you know, I think the, the, especially with the interception that uh, mm-hmm. that Miles Kendrick threw in the second quarter, New Mexico State on average started at their own 37-yard line. So even if it wasn't always successful, they really had the Lobos on their back foot basically the entire time. Yeah, and the two touchdowns in the second half, the one the, they got the ball at the 31-yard line, the Aggies 31, mm-hmm. be Lobos 31-yard line, one play to score. Then they got it just past midfield for that 47-yard. 10 play drive that was right before the uh, field goal. So they, on the two times they scored, they barely had to move the balls or way better than the average. You mentioned the 37 yard line of their own. They were after on the other side of Lobo, Lobo field. So like this matchup, the running game wasn't great. Like Christian Washington, Daniel Jones didn't have a good game. No big plays. Like you mentioned, nothing explosive. Miles Kendrick, a little more efficient. He cracked 50%, I guess we had the pick. Um, I mean, this was this was not a great Aggies pass rush either, and they made them look no. like world beers. Four, they had four, ta- four sacks, eight tackles for loss. Oh, oh yeah. And also it. eight quarterback hurries. So yeah, eight hurries, the, yeah. the offensive line had Kendrick under pressure basically the entire game. Yeah. And, they and had so also I, I hesitate what, to say oh. that, like, you know, they, they need a better quarterbacker, let's say. I feel like in this game, Kendrick was doing the best that he could given the circumstances. Like, he still completed 19 of 30 passes. You know, but, you know, again, one only, you know, zero touchdowns had only the one interception. It's just, mm-hmm. if it's not working up front in the trenches, though, it's going to really limit what else you can do. And that, yeah. I think, more than anything else, seems to be the one thing holding this entire unit back. Yeah, because look at defense again. Two, they held them two of 10, the Aggies. Lobos held the Aggies, I should say, two of 10. They mm-hmm. were not necessarily out game like they're running it per like per when they get the short fields. I don't want to go twelve yards because that's meaningless, but per play is a bit better. Like also, Aggies had one hundred and two yards in penalties. They again not twenty percent on third down. They passing was seven yards per pass, which is not great, but better than the, than the Lobos. Rushing was only three point four. You're right, Aggies weren't doing anything special on offense defense. They got after the offensive line and got to Kendrick and. Like you mentioned, the pass breakups, there's, I think, five or so of those, I believe. All the QB hurries, the sacks, TFLs. Defensively, yeah, 21 points is fine to give up overall. It's hard to defend when you're, like you mentioned, 30 yards. Yeah, the one 31-yard touchdown pass, that's not great. But when when there are two scorers on the other side of your field and they have to go less than 50 yards, that's hard to defend against, especially when I know both units were facing this, but Aggies, we're going or the offense, excuse me, Lobos, both teams, three and out, four and out, or four, three to five place punting. 
So the, they mm-hmm. weren't getting a ton of rest either team. And, and Aggies finally kind of got to it a little bit. Like they, those two touchdown passes when they had a short field, but they were, they were just defenses were kind of gassed out there for both teams in the, the Mexico state took advantage of it with the field position. They didn't have to go 80 yards or 70 yards. They went, like I said, 47, 31. They got the ball in the other half of the field. There was a missed field goal by the Aggies as well. So there's that that could have made a little bit different. They 43 yarders, eh, iffy for a college kid, but this is all again, like we, they meant, we mentioned, you mentioned your winners and losers in the new OC. It's like, well, what are they doing? They can't protect the quarterback. Like Kendrick can move a little bit with his legs. He did run 13 nines, but got literally nothing, only 11, 12 yards. I know that's pre sack yardage, but his long was only seven. There's nothing yeah. explosive outside of Luke Winsong, um, 33 yard reception. That's it. It's a problem. I don't know that there's any obvious solutions for it either. I don't know. It's like it's the defense is not like it's not awesome, but it's what head and shoulders above the the offense. Clearly, like they're a solid defense, about an average defense nationally. And they go to or not go to, but they got Fresno State. We'll just check about Utah State Air Force. There are some interesting games coming up, so we'll see. All right, anything else to add to this game? Or we're moving on to the next matchup on which is the Falcons and Rebels. No, I think we can probably move on. Forty-two to seven, Matt. Air Force is question mark good, and also, man, UNLV really needs Doug Brumfield back in the back in the offense. Like, yeah. really need really need him. Cam Frill going eight of ten, not going to get it done. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, he did not get a lot of help from the running game. Nope, not this. You know, week. you know, uh, you know, Aiden Robbins got off to a you know pretty decent start in the game, but you know, between he and Courtney Reese. They only combined for like what 70, 67 yards on thirteen carries. Mm-hmm. They just didn't really have that much opportunity. Like I didn't realize this, and maybe this is a function of the fact that Air Force held the ball for forty three minutes in this game. <laughs> yeah, uh, but and, but I th- and I know that somebody put this out there. Actually, multiple people put it out there. Chris Benini from the Athletic was one that comes to mind. Uh, I mean, Air Force had more points in this game than UNLV had plays. Whoa. They ran exactly 35 plays in this game. And on a per play basis, it actually wasn't that bad. You know, it was you know 5.1 yards per carry. And it was just... Is that before they, sack yardage, though, right? Is that pre-sack yardage? Probably. It has to be, because total here is just 3.1, so that's what I was wondering. Oh, okay, it might be, yeah. Uh, well, I think that's rushing average. Okay. On a per per play yards per play all altogether, five point one. Oh, I see. Problem was though. Problem was though. They had three fumbles. They lost all of them. Yeah, they pulled an Air Force. Friel had the Friel had the interception, and uh, if memory serves, Air Force took all of those turnovers and turned them all into touchdowns. Yeah, when that happens, that's. Yeah, especially like they start the game off, fumble, touchdown. Uh, let's see here real quick. Not to read the box. We got interception, touch. Yeah, both. No, oh, it shows here. Okay, maybe the score, ESPN's fooling me again, but it's at least two right here that where they say turnovers to points. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be more than that, I'm guessing, because there's some blank spots on my, my drive here. Regardless, too many turnovers. Couldn't stop the running game. Two running backs for the Falcons. Eldridge came back to have a, pretty, a really good game with over 100 yards. Huge game, 60-yarder. Brad Roberts, 144 yards. Emmanuel Michael had 
had a pretty good game, 52 yards. And like Courtney Reese had 37 yards for UNLV, but one was a 26 yarder. They literally could outside that one play, they literally could not run the ball more than like a yard of play, essentially, it seems like. I mean, we that talked about it about 30 yards about on like it. 19 carries. Yeah, we talked about it at length, though, like during the preview podcast, but the one thing they needed to do was to stop Air Force's ground game. And so when you look at the fact that they only had two TFLs, two tackles for a loss as a, as a unit, that's just not going to get it done. Well, also, which is interesting, yeah. too, there, there was a 60-yarder. There weren't a million explosive rushing plays either for Air Force. So they kind no, of they have did, to. They were, do, they were playing their efficiency game. Yeah, that, that's what it was. Like they, you, that's what we tell when we talk about Air Force. You play them like, okay, they'll get three yards, maybe not four hundred and six, but they had a like not many double digit rushing plays, maybe like two or three, and they just went six yards, five yards. You know what I mean? Like if you run four yards every play, you're getting the first down on third and two. That's just how, yeah. that's how the math works. Just, that's kind of what they were doing. They needed havoc. They needed stops, and so while they did hold Air Force to four of nine on third downs. A lot of that was undone by the fact that Air Force was also three of four on fourth downs. Yeah, it's like, screw it, we're so going for it. To... <laughs> yeah, and and you know when you look at the fact that you know, Austin Ajiaki had 20 tackles in this game, Oof. who, and by the way, first Mountain West defender to do that since David Woodward back in 2019. So, I mean, that's pretty good company to keep. And, and Darius Johnson also had 16 tackles in this game, but that's not what you want when you're trying to defend the triple option like that. They needed more penetration up front. Yeah. And maybe you can excuse a little bit of it with the injuries that the Rebels are still dealing with. Because on defense, they did go into this game without Adam Plant Jr., without Naki Pahina. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then on offense, of course, they played without Brumfield. They played without Kyle Williams, no Jeff Weimer. Again. Yeah. Uh, you know, other guys. But, you know, everybody's dealing with injuries just about at this point in the season. They, they needed to have a better performance than they did against this offense last November, especially on defense. And they just did not get it. Yeah. It's this team. Like we'll see what you, I'm trying to see because Brumfield's on the sideline, but obviously didn't play. Do we know, like, is there any new time frame of him returning? Because it wouldn't have changed the difference because the rushing yards, all that type of stuff still like would have been there, but they're missing against more than Brumfield. Maybe it would have made the not that I've seen. Big bit more efficient, yeah, efficient with Kyle Williams and other guys out there, but I still this is this what it this is what it really tells me for teams. It's like when you see or hear, oh, our team or like when I was University of Utah, when they were with Urban Meyer, even Kyle wouldn't him a bit and uh when they went undefeated. Yeah, or Meyer's like Art Alex Smith. Yeah, we got guys. We got Morgan Scal, we got all these defenders. We got uh what's uh Brent or yeah Brent Castile we have um what's oh she just retired from the Chargers for the second time Eric Weddle back there yeah our starters are really good once we get our backups in there we're in trouble and this is mm-hmm. a point where the recruiting hasn't caught up to the starting talent or depth of UNLV starting talent seems to be there obviously from what we've seen earlier in the year but when they have to play backups and missing key players I know it's a lot of key players but when they have to play their twos and threes occasionally they're still they're not very good and I'll take another year or two to kind of get that closer to close the gap between your number one and number two guy at multiple positions. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of where they're at right now. And they just have too many of their ones out. And I still think a bowl game is a possibility. They're sitting at four and three. Um, I, they still play, have they played Hawaii yet this year? Have they played, they don't play Nevada yet. No, they will. there's still there. The rebels still have a lot to play for, not just bowl eligibility, but like, you know, they lost the head to head to San Jose state, 
but they've still got games left with the other three teams that have one conference loss to this point, San Diego State, Fresno State, Hawaii. So and also Nevada. So there's possibility. So how things th- go. I don't know it, that they, they don't really control their own destiny for the moment. But if they can if they can recuperate, if they can find answers and and plug some of these holes that have emerged over the last couple of weeks in particular, you know, they can they they can still bounce back. Like they they still have a lot of talent that's, you know, if they if they can find their way back to the field, they could still be a force. Yeah, because look at the standings, everybody's one loss, Nevada three in league play. And yeah. the way the, the way the league, I know they've given up 40 plus points the past two games, not good. They played Notre Dame this week. We'll see how that goes. If who comes back, who's able, able to come back. Because Notre Dame just lost to freaking Stanford. They're not very good. They lost to Marshall, who's been losing terrible games. They barely beat Cal, who lost to Colorado this week. Not saying they'll go in there and win in South Bend, but if, if somehow UNLV gets a bunch of guys healthy, it could make it, it could make it interesting a bit, possibly. We'll mm-hmm. see. But within the league play, Aztecs are playing a safety at quarterback at the moment. So it's like they're, they're, they're have problems. Fresno State, maybe Jake Hainer's back and they squeaked by this week. And Hawaii and Nevada, there's a, I still, I don't see it. It's not, I still see six wins in their future for make a ball eligibility minimum. A lot left to do. There's still a lot. It's, it makes it interesting. So next game, the Valley Trophy. 17 to 10, your Fresno State Bulldogs, Matt, won over San Jose State Spartans, 17 to 10, in a game that's low scoring. People thought there'd be more points. We saw Shavon Cordero not play well, but the big thing for me on the San Jose State side is what's been the problem every time they don't play well. Uh, running game is not very good to really bad in this game. That did not help at all. Neither did. Their offensive line where, you know, your Fresno State Bulldogs met had five sacks and eleven TFLs. So well, okay. They, you say you say you say the defensive line had five sacks. This was the David Perales show. Oh, I apologize. Sorry. On Saturday I still night. I apologize. I still looked at the name. I know he's in the winners and losers. I just were scrolling down sacks. I apologize and should give defense to David Perales. Four sacks, five TFLs, one pass breakup. So I looked it up because I was curious. There's a there the list of of players who had four sacks and five TFLs at least in a game is not as extensive as you might think it is. Wait, you're telling and me I, that's I not up, common? <laughs> it's not that common, no. Like yeah, it's been done 45 times since 2000. Okay. Interestingly enough, it's only been done twice in the Mountain West. And was it one Paul Kruger at University of Utah you mentioned, right? That was correct. Yeah. Paul Kruger Kruger is the only other one. But like if you look at the list of people who've done it, you know, over time, it's kind of a who's who of great college defenders. Like Ndamukong Sue did it, Ryan Kerrigan did it, Mario Williams did it, did it, Tom Bahali, Elvis Dumerville, Rob Ninkovich, Larry English over in Northern Illinois did it twice in 2006-07. So I mean, which is a long way of saying that one of the concerns that I had coming into this game was whether the defense would be able to sort of play up to snuff. And that is exactly what they did. You know, while while Perales was definitely the one who had the lion's share of the pass rush, he basically, you know, ate the offensive line's lunch in that regard. Yeah. I think more importantly is the fact they also racked up 11 tackles for loss as a team. Mm -hmm. That stopped the running game from doing anything with Kyrie Robinson. 
Yeah. And that, and that was really a, a group effort, you know, from every level of defense in order to do that. But then on top of that, I'm wondering about the last time a team had 12 pass breakups in a game too. That's a lot. So even, even when Cordero had time to throw, basically everybody was playing a role in, in shutting down that element of the offense, which that's where you get, you know, Cordero with a line where, you know, he completed slightly under 50% of his throws for the game, 22 of 45, 294 yards and one touchdown and one interception. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they tried. Elijah Cooks, you know, couldn't Elijah save Cooks had another big game, you know, force fed the ball, 15 targets, but only seven catches. Yeah, catches, buddy. For 140 yards, only seven catches for 140 yards in the yeah, touchdown. Only, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he had a very good game, but that was in spite of the fact that, you know, the, this this defense, which I, you know, personally have been a little more, uh, uh, I, I had put a little more scrutiny on them. They stepped up big time in this game and played a lot oh, yeah. closer to, you know, the talent level and the execution that I think, you know, a lot of people were expecting all along. And, and this just sort of reminds me of a brief conversation I had with Cam Morrell, you know, former Fresno State safety. Now he's the sideline guy uh, for the radio broadcasts uh, here in the Valley. But that was, you know, he said something to the, to the same effect. I think it was, you know, it was not necessarily always a matter of talent as much as execution that had been lacking over the last few weeks. And this is what you saw when, when all of that was really on point. This was a unit that sort of like we just talked about with Utah State, not quite the same offensive situation, but I think there's, there's, it's definitely clear that the offense was still sort of hit or miss in this game for the Bulldogs as well. Yeah, running game was okay. Pass, like Logan Five had his best complete game as a starter, but like the running game is still TBD, what can be done and everything. So it wasn't ideal. But they, they did just enough clearly. And obviously it's more of a defensive win than offensive win. Like they we look yeah. at like I mean, the Bulldogs. Yeah, because... They never had Jalen Cropper back, but he only had the one excuse me, that's one rush, sorry. He played fine six catches, but nothing amazing overall. Yeah, I mean, part of the problem was, you know, they, while they were three of three in the red zone, mm-hmm. you know, again, it wasn't like it was an overwhelming advantage in that regard. Like, I'm trying to look up what they actually did. And I guess they did get a couple touchdowns from those red zone trips for a change, but still only three of 12 on, for, on third downs. And maybe more importantly, they also had, what, three turnovers in this game? Uh, something like that. They didn't do a good job protecting it overall. There was the interception and then, uh, yeah, two lost fumbles. So, yeah, three, first one, three turnovers. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, Bill Connolly put it out. He puts it out there, I believe, every Sunday morning about the lowest win expectancies from the, from the weekend. And Fresno State had one of them. You know, if you, and, and when, you, when we talk about post game win expectancy and, and, Bill Connolly could probably shake his head if I'm forgetting some things about this, but basically Careful. the idea behind it is that you take the numbers from both teams, regardless of like names. So like it basically removes the names and everything like that. And it puts it, you know, team A versus team B, this team did this, this team did this. Mm-hmm. Team A would be expected to win X percent of the time. Do you want to know what first State's post game win expectancy was in this game? Uh, I'm not sure. So if I were to guess, under 50%? It was under 50%. 41. 33. Okay. I can see that. Turnovers, not running the ball very well, at least offensively. Defensively, there's a case to be made that's high, but like, yeah, offensively, not quite. 
Yeah, I'm, and I'm trying to look up the explanation that Bill Collin put out there. Basically, so he was saying, like, in terms of efficiency, both teams were basically even in this game. San Jose State had a huge advantage in terms of creating explosive plays. You know, you mentioned Fife having his best game of the year, but that was really a credit to, you know, Cordero and Cooks in particular. Um, you know, I think Cooks had one, two, three, four different big plays that, yeah. you know, at least kept the the Spartans moving down the field here and there. Um Spartans also had a, a major expected and actual turnover margin advantage. Problem was, Fresno State won it by being better in the red zone and having better field position overall. And that's where you look at, you know, San Jose State starting on average from its own 27. Fresno State, by contrast, started at its own 33. So they managed to do just enough with that field position advantage to come away with a win. So are you happy with the win, how it happened? Or do you care? I mean, they got a win. Uh, I mean, I mean, a win is, a, I mean, if you, I mean, a win is a win. Yeah. But you also, I mean, I don't know how much more you could have expected. I mean, it might be good. It might be good enough to, to get away with it once or twice, but I think you're also still hoping that, the stars on both sides of the ball are going to get healthy sooner rather than later. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And hopefully Cropper gets more healthy and plays better. And obviously Jake Hayner, cause they have what, um, they have an off week. Isn't first. Off, no, they already had the off week pre UConn. They have yeah, they Mexico. Mexico next week. Okay. It's, uh, okay. That's not enough. Not going to make the joke. It's an off week. Let's put it this way. If, if, if they play like this rather than how they played the last couple of weeks, their chances of staying afloat in the conference race look a lot better overall. Especially defensively. Often they, they need to score points, but the West isn't full. Like San Jose State was literally the most explosive and best. I guess UNLV, not the past week standing, but you'd have the most thinking who's going to score the most points the way what we've seen from the Spartans. This would have been that team. And that game. Yeah. But now they're done with those particular, uh, that team. And they play UNLV in a couple weeks and who knows how they'll be. But anybody left on their schedule, Aztecs can't put up points, really. New Mexico doesn't. Hawaii, no. Nevada, Wyoming, no. So they can play, they can win. They don't have to score 37 points, 35, 40 points to win these games. They can win in a similar fashion. They'd rather not. Yeah, they might, they might be following the Boise State path back to respectability. It's just going to look a little bit different on its face. Yeah, because Boise's been a bit more – defense has been, like we said, offense. They finally pick things up with Dirt Cutter. All right, so what do we got for the, the final game of the weekend, correct? Nevada. And Hawaii? Break up the Warriors? Question mark? How about Derek Parson breaking him up? He's, he ran the ball forever and did good things. Uh, a, a very good you, man, reminder play- that he's one of the best running backs in the conference. That's true. And what do we tell people? I tell everybody, they're at home. It's tough to win. Nevada's not very good at, at Honolulu. And the Warriors can stand. I stand corrected in that regard. You had me there. I, I, I finally got something over you. It took me long enough. I'll figure something out after <laughs> twice. But yeah, Dedrick Parsons doing doing well running for what did, what did you put in a winner's column? One what, 125 yards, something like that. 24 points. carries, 136 yards, three touchdowns, all of which were season highs. Three touchdowns. This is what Timmy Chang needs to get this team moving to figure things out to try to basically do what they did this past week. And they were close. Yeah. I mean, I think it Not I, I think it also it. helps to to have Zion Bowens back too. That's right. Because he had gone. one of the most Super. critical one of the most critical plays in the game with that 48 yard touchdown catch. But, you know, on the, on the whole, you know, six targets, team high, four catches, 79 yards. And in, in, in the sort of 
one of the critical touchdowns in this game. Well, yeah, I mean, it was mostly the Dedrick Parsons show, but he, he definitely had a little bit of help from the passing game. Like, it wasn't a flawless offensive performance. Braden Shager still just 13 to 25 overall. But they definitely got more out of that attack. And I think just as importantly, you know, other than the interception, I think it was right before halftime, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, no major mistakes to speak of on that and that element of the game as well. Yeah, and well, getting Shager back to be your starter is always good because he's been banged up a bit. But also give credit, yeah. rush offense, Dedrick Parson, but rush defense. They held, they had Nate Cox be the leading rusher for the war, or excuse me, for the Wolfpack. Toa Tala didn't move the ball very well. So we got to give credit to that defense. I know Nevada's offense is yeah, ideal. That, good, but, okay, and that was the most surprising thing to me. Yeah. Ta- which Tala is, which is why yards. I picked Nevada to win the game. Yeah. It's out know, 1.9 I, yards per rush. 1.9, Matt. That's not very far. Yeah, I mean, without looking it up, I'm trying to look it up as I speak. You know, one of the big problems that the Warriors had coming into this game was they just did not create a lot of havoc, you know, which, you know, enabled, especially like New Mexico State most recently, to run all over them. So the fact that they came out and had seven tackles for loss as a, as a team, which was a season high to this point, I think is a very big deal. And, and especially because the, you know, they they got a lot of that from the guys up front too. You know, John Tuia Tupo had you know a TFL had a sack and I believe a forced fumble too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, Andrew Choi had a TFL. You know, John Kahawai uh, Welch had two TFLs. You're starting to see a little bit more here and there of what this team is ultimately ultimately wants to look like. And in this particular contest. It was de- it was more than enough to put away a Nevada team that, you know, to your point, is starting to just look a little more limited from week to week. Yeah, they well, we kind of that's not a surprise, is it though? No, I mean, it, ultimately not. I think it, it, we, everybody expected it would be sort of a, a hard reset, but I think we, what we saw from the first couple of weeks maybe elevated expectations a little bit here and there. It wasn't like it was a. T- it wasn't like a terrible performance. Like it wasn't like Hawaii came out and ran away with things. You know, they, they you know, even though they had the uh, what on paper what looks like a substantial advantage in terms of like total yardage, let's say, you know, they still held Hawaii to you know five point six, which is you know good but not great. Yeah, and there were but... still some, th- and there were still some things, some elements of the game where. You know, we just talked about how Hawaii had, you know, seven TFLs. Nevada had six themselves. So it wasn't like, you know, they were necessarily you know, getting pushed around here and there. Like Don Peterson had a TFL and a half. You know, Drew Watts had, you know, a TFL. And they had opportunities. I think they, did they win the turnover battle in this game? Uh, turnover margin overall in this game. You had interception, the one interception by Hawaii. No, it was even one-to-one fumble and a pick. The okay. Wolfpack had the fumble. So it was pretty even gotcha. on that front. But the main difference clearly was Nevada couldn't run the ball and Hawaii could. That's kind of want to break it down to something that simple. Hawaii did drop the ball twice, but recovered one, lost one. I'm not sure who lost the uh, particular fumble. doesn't say here. Same in Nevada. Nate Cox had the fumble and lost one. But we mentioned the TFLs, Red, red like, zone opportunities too. Red zone, yeah. red zone inefficiency kills, man. 
We, it seems like we talk about it every single week, but we do. You know, We've had in, multiple in teams this instance, have problems. Yeah, in this instance, even when Nevada was able to move the ball, three trips to the red zone, two field goals, and, and, well, and they got a touchdown. They got they got thirteen trips and or thirteen points in three trips. Problem was Hawaii had four trips and they got twenty four points out of it, including those three Dedrick Parson touchdowns. Yeah, Dedrick that is more or less your game right there. Yeah, late fumble, missed a field goal in the first half. I know 46, 45 yarder. They're still missing Brandon Talton, but there's a there were a couple chances where it could have been touch a touch closer. Like they force a punt, and then that fourth quarter, they're they they had to go eighty yards essentially. But still, it's like after the touchback, I believe it was. But it's like mm-hmm. you give Hawaii again more red zone issues for even Hawaii's in to get the ball to the twenty yard line. They get to the six and settle for a field goal. I guess technically a ten. Yeah. Sorry. Drive chart screwy here, but they get the ball. I guess when they recover at the 24-yard line, we're afraid that they got the ball at the 20, fumbled at the 20, recovered at the 24, only went a handful of yards, 14 yards to the to the 10. So like both teams, there's red zone stuff, but yeah, the this Nevada's bad. Obviously, Hawaii's not much better. I I, I guess if we take away what you already mentioned, Parson there, Bowen's back. Hawaii's now healthy. Which maybe it'll be a bit frisky second half of the season because they still get to play Colorado State on the road, which winnable game. They then it gets trickier. Wyoming, Fresno, Utah State, UNLV, San Jose State. And we'll see what UNLV will be at at home and how healthy they are with uh, Brumfield, Kyle Williams, and others. So there's maybe I could see maybe four wins, maybe, but it requires being Colorado State and the any of the other five would be an upset in my opinion. Okay, let me, let, me right pose now, this, let me pose this to you then, yeah. because you know th- I think they briefly discussed this game on the on the hurry up program split zone duo that that podcast. I've not listened do to you. That, do you think with with two wins in hand for for the Warriors, do you think the season is already a success? <sighs> People were thinking. I'm trying to think. That's a good question because they were thinking they were one of the worst teams of college football, which we'll kind of get to in a moment here. We'll do a quick little. SP plus look at where teams are at the moment. Um, no, it's not bad. It could have been, it could be worse. I should say when you're losing to Western Kentucky, Vanderbilt and New Mexico, specifically New Mexico state. Um, I think three wins. I'd say yes. San Diego state lost very close. Makes it me leaning more toward a successful season. Two and 10 is not a bad year. I need to, I should look up what I have for my preseason projections on our win total document we had. But as for as the moments, I would say they're kind of on track to what I thought. Progress. With the only only, I mean, that's, only that's minor. Really, all you were looking for. Yeah, the only minor or the only bump of the road is that blowout loss to New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. Besides that, what about you? Do you think they're successful so far? Are you still kind of eh, getting there? Maybe. I mean, I I think I've had to adjust my expectations for sure, but at the same time. You know, I think what you've seen over the last few weeks is just, you know, little bits of improvement here and there, which even if they don't steal any more wins, if they are at least com- more competitive in the second half of the year than they were in the first half, that I think if you're a Warriors fan is all you can, all you can really hope for. So I found mine really quick. I had them four of nine for the season, beating Nevada, beating Duquesne, which they've done. My other wins were New Mexico State. And Vanderbilt, which oh, that's looking pretty bad. I just never know. But, but 
I'm so I'm basically kind of on track. I still the way the season has played out, CSU could be a win. Well, I mean, their offense isn't there. You never know. Um, UNLV. So I think there's a small chance they get to four wins, but I think they're progress to pass three. Let's put it this way. Best couple weeks. Hawaii is no longer dead last in the country in terms of SP plus. That belongs to the Colorado state Rams and the fight in Jay Norvell's. Well, uh, you in the country though, UMass is now dead last. Well, I meant within the conference context. But 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 to your point, they are also not dead last in SP plus within the mountain West. You're right. Yeah. CSU 128, Hawaii 127. It's not looking good, folks. The numbers are still staying low. 144 to Mexico, 123 Nevada. So out of the final eight, how many, 18, eight of the bottom, 131, right? Is that my, if my math's right? 131 teams? Yeah. And nine, sorry. Eight of nine. Or sorry, not eight of nine. Sorry. Four of the worst nine teams are from the Mountain West from SP+. Plus. There's my math. I got it. And then they have yeah, all I but mean, four. And you, you hear a lot of the conversation on, on Twitter about how this is the worst the Mountain West has ever been. And without having sort of like the conference average rankings that I know Bill Connolly puts out from week to week, I don't have it for like every single year. But, you know, typically from from what I can remember off the top of my head, typically the Mountain West is either like sixth or seventh overall as a conference. Right now they're ninth. That's and, and every single week they've been creeping a little closer to the MAC, which is dead last. You know, one of the things that they put out, you know, is average SP plus right now, the Mountain West is minus 14 overall. The MAC is at minus 14 and a half. And if you want to compare it to Conference USA, you know, you know, CUSA is at minus 10.7 right now. Sunbelt at number seven is actually above average. They're at 0.2. So that gives you an example of, or it's a sense of just how, when I say how bad, I mean how inefficient. Because that that is what SP plus is. It's a measure of efficiency more than anything else. And so you get a sense of just like how bad things have been. Like you know, New Mexico, for example, we've talked about it here and there. You know, defense right now they're 79th in, in defensive SP plus, but their offense is dead last. Colorado State is next to last. You know, Hawaii is 120th and 127th on deep and defensive SP plus. So, and, and San Diego State's 126th. So that I think maybe more than anything else is the tie that really binds a lot of these teams that are near the bottom. Yeah, well, efficiency also means they're not good as well. Essentially, I know it's more efficient based not necessarily how really good you are, but it's still a ranking of if you're more efficient, you're better. Obviously, yeah. You know what I mean. So yeah, 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 Air Force leads away at 76, which isn't great. And after the best team, it's like it's it's a funny thing is people respond on Twitter to certain things from like the recap, kind of hey, send in your gif and quick recap of the week. It's turning out to be the teams we had at the beginning of the year are starting to be the same now for the most part, but there's just more more loss, more numbers, higher numbers on the right side of the win-loss column than we thought. The only real surprise would still be UNLV is way overachieving. San Jose State, I'd say, sort of overachieving. Air Force, Boise are kind of where we thought they were, but maybe not necessarily how they got there. The journey's been a bit windier than we thought. Mm-hmm. I think Aztecs are the only, and even Utah State, they're turning around a bit, but I think the only really team that's really disappointing overall, not leaving up expectations, unfortunately, San Diego State, and probably a little bit Wyoming as well. 
Yeah. It's just, yeah, and the more I think about it, and I don't know if I'll have time to write about this at some point, but it really does seem like offense in particular has been the problem in the Mountain West. And I think that that bears itself out in SP Plus, where one of the things that Bill Connolly does is break it down by offense and, and defense. And, you know, one of the, because what is, what is actually being measured is like, I think, I think it's like by points or something like that. So by offensive SP plus, you know, just in terms of offense by itself, their average rating, their average like point rating is 17. That, and, and even the Mac has, has this conference beat right now. Like the Mac is at 21.5. The American by comparison is at 29. And when you really look at it, like even the good teams by, by that particular measure have not been particularly good. Like, you know, Air Force right now is at the top of the conference in terms of like overall SP plus at 76th overall. And, you know, they're, they're on that side of the ball, the best unit overall. And even they're just 80th in that regard. Like Boise State's right behind them. They're 109th in offense. Fresno State is 94th. Every other team in the conference is in the triple digits on that side of the ball. And that really bears itself out in, you know, a number of things. So like, if you look at, you know, third, third down efficiency, for example, the majority of teams in the conference are still way down from where they were the year before, Um, you know, case in point, just two teams in the conference have converted 40% of their third downs to this point in the year. Not very good. It bears itself out in the fact that just explosive plays are down across the country, or excuse me, across the conference. So I don't necessarily know that there's one thing that you can pin it upon because SV Plus does capture, you know, you know the famous five factors, which of which I just mentioned a couple of them, mm-hmm. which makes me think that you know whichever teams can find a way to harness that down the stretch could have a potentially major advantage. So, like, if UNLV can rediscover those explosive passing plays, if Boise State can hold on to those explosive, that explosive ground game that they've sort of, you know, fallen into over the last couple of weeks, you know, if Fresno State can get its stars back and get back to the way that they were playing, you know, in the, in the first, you know, game and a half uh, of the year on that side of the ball, there are still a lot of ways that this conference race could go. And I think it's really going to come down to which teams find answers on offense in particular. Yeah. I, Boise kind of has. San Jose State was. UNLV was when they're healthy. Spartans are really one game difference. I guess most recently biased, obviously. UNLV is to be set back. You, what was that? Nobody's infallible. Yeah, there's Anybody been, can be beaten. Like, look at Air Force. Like, look what they ran against this past week, and then they get loose to Utah State and stuff. And so... I don't know who, who's the, like who'd you put number one in your power rankings? Have you done yours yet? Yeah, I'm, it's it's becoming more and more of a few exercise. I put Air Force back at the top just because I still think even despite the two losses, yeah. which I will remind everybody, both of those were by one score. They were one low scoring, one high scoring. I still think that they are probably the best team in the conference. I agree with you. I could I'd put Air Force and Boise State and probably San Jose San Jose third. It's a really good thing that power rankings don't necessarily have to line up with the standings. I guess that's good. what I'm saying. That's fine. That works well. So, 
yeah, we'll get some more of this throughout the year. See how more league play come, comes up. I guess we're going to do some sort of midseason type award, possibly quick something part of our preview next week. I didn't put it out there. I guess we have to do it now, maybe. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll do something like that. It'll be part of either maybe a small separate show, or maybe I'll divide it up into two little two posts, I should say, or two podcast segments. Mm-hmm. But midway season, is it still – okay, we've asked this the past couple weeks – who, is it still Shavon Cordier, or do, or maybe should we be leaning Brad Roberts for best offensive player so far? Excellent question. Uh, that feels like something I have to do research on. I agree. It's uh, Cordier's performance this week did not help his cause. <laughs> That's right. All right, so we'll be, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, MWR.com. We have recaps. We have winners and losers. They'll have some other bull projection stuff. I'm a little behind to that stuff going on. Uh, as we record Sunday midday, mid uh, not midday, sorry, early evening, I will say. So this might come out a touch earlier, so kind of flip-flop what we're doing. But we'll be back next week to talk some uh, week eight, some midseason stuff. And, yeah, we'll see you then, folks.